0: letter to Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 2 it's the entire chapter but it's only 15 verses if you're using a bible from the church the small version uh, can be found on page 1191 if you're using the large print version it's 1804 so that's 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 15 I urge, then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives with all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, And one mediator between God and all mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This is God's word.
1: Well, thanks very much, Kathy, and uh, good morning Good to see you all this morning. Um, well, this is the final sermon in our series on God's design for men and women, which has helped us to try and understand why God has created us male and female. And uh, i just like to say at the beginning, if uh, there are questions which have come up during this series or uh, as a result of this morning, we're going to have a session um, Tuesday week, 8 o'clock here in the church, to give you a chance to ask questions and just to discuss some of the things that have come out of this. It might be helpful if you like just to email through to us some of the things so we know what um, you're grappling with, issues you'd like us to discuss. Uh, So very welcome for you to do that. And also if you're not able to be there but you would like to discuss some of these things um, then we're available at any time. So do please come and see um, Mark, myself or Wells. You're always willing to to talk these things through through with you. Um, Just provide a bit of a recap over what we've been discussing in this series. Um, The first thing that we looked at was that men and women are made equal in God's sight, that we find our dignity in Christ as adopted children of God our Father. We were made equal, but we were also made different. God intended us to play different roles and to have different responsibilities so that together we would complement each other in a perfect partnership. We then saw how in the fall men and women failed to live up to these responsibilities and rejected God's design and God's rule over their lives. Uh, The result was broken relationships, uh, both between people and God and between one another uh, as men and women pursued their own agendas. But we finish on the positive note that Christ offers reconciliation in our relationships and the restoration of God's design. And last week, we looked at some of the application of that. Uh, We looked at God's design for men and women in marriage, the different roles that husbands and wives play, the fact that marriage symbolizes the relationship between Christ and the church in terms of headship and submission, a headship of self-sacrifice and love and submission, and not one of um, self-centeredness or repression. And we also describe God's ideal of marriage as being far more beautiful, far more satisfying than any marriage pattern that um, (coughs) humankind can devise. So when we come this morning to applying God's design for men and women in the church, it's not surprising we see the same pattern of headship and submission. Because then it goes back to how God created us and how he designed us. But before we look at these, these verses which Kathy read for us, let's just first look at the context of this passage. Because so if we go to chapter 3, verse 14, we see the purpose of this section of Paul's letter. Paul writes, although, writing to Timothy here, although I co- hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions. So that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So these are instructions for living in God's household, in the church, and behavior which has been disrupted by false teaching, and which has led to quarrels and division. If I go back to the beginning of chapter two, which uh, was read for us, because here we read, and um, verse one, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So what this teaches us first is that all Christians have a responsibility to submit to those in authority over them. God has put certain people in positions of responsibility uh, that doesn't mean in the eyes of God we are inferior to them. Uh, many of those governments may be secular. Um, but unless we are called to do something against our Christian conscience, then we are called to submit to their authority. Why are we called to submit to their, to their authority? Well, as it says here, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That is the purpose for us all, both men and women, and that we may live peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. But as we read on, as we come into verse 8, there's then a distinction made between men and women. Paul seems to address two situations in which men and women are prone to bring God's name into dishonor in the church. For men, who are more confrontational, it's a tendency to argue. And one of the impacts of the, the false teaching that Paul is addressing here is Disunity disunity in the church so what does he do he encourages men in their leadership role to concentrate verse 8 on praying and seeking the will of god together so he says i want the men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing we can still disagree over things um as we discuss, but we need to be careful how we conduct ourselves in those situations we need to avoid anger we need to reconcile ourselves to our our brothers uh, and sisters where we have a dispute as far as women are concerned paul writes in verse 9 i also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship god as we looked one, at 1 Peter 3 last week, um, more important than external beauty is the inner beauty of holiness. So in other words, for both men and women, holy living is the most important thing, being true to God as his people who've been set apart. Well, so far so good, but I guess the problem that most people have is when we come on to verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 starts, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. So let's spend a bit of time trying to, to work out what this means. And before we do that, there are three key tests in any Bible passage as we try and understand it um, that we need to, to go through. We need to look at the word itself and other uses of it. We need to look at its context, and we need to look at how it fits with other passages on the same subject. Now, some of the principles we're assuming here is that God does not contradict himself in his word. He's consistent. His word has universal relevance. And although it was written to a specific people at a specific time, it still has universal relevance to us today. God is unchanging. But there are two errors which people are prone to make. And at one extreme, there are those who are literalists, who will apply every word of Scripture exactly as it says and disregard the, the different cultural contexts. So they would say, for example, when you pray, you have to lift up your hands rather than concentrating on the attitude to prayer. Or women must not braid their hair or wear anything with gold in or pearls and cannot buy clothes above a certain price. <laughs> that rules out most people here, probably. Um, rather than concentrate, what is the principle of what it means to dress modestly in our culture? So there's the literalist end, and there's the uh, the, uh, the liberal end of the other side, which disregards the timeless principle because of the different cultural context. Uh, assumes it has no relevance to us today. And again, once you start down that um, route, you end up getting into all sorts of problems and uh, reject much of what the Bible says. So what we should be doing is working out what is God's timeless principle, his timeless revelation to us in his word. And what is the cultural application of that to us in our time, in our place? So, for example, if we take an episode like Jesus washing his disciples' feet, he tells his disciples, go wash each other's feet. Now, we've got three choices with that. We assume that we are literally meant to wash one another's feet. When you walk into church, have a bowl of water there, let's do that. We dismiss it as culturally irrelevant, just not what we do today. Or actually, we grasp the, the underlying lesson that no task is too low for us if we have a servant heart. And a true love for each other. So just with that in mind, let's come on to these uh, couple of verses then and see how it applies to these. Verse 12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now if we look at that word quiet, it's the same word used back in verse two, which refers to all believers that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. It's the same word used in the previous verse, in uh, chapter 2, verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And it also corresponds, if you were here last week, to um, the inner beauty that Peter describes in 1 Peter 3, when he talks about the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit of a wife. So the words, the context, point to a quietness of spirit. A spirit that's not argumentative, that's not troublesome, that's not disruptive of church life. What is not being described here is that women in church should be seen and not heard. And we know that in, when we look at other tests, uh, if we look at um, other passages in Scripture. For example, if we look at 1 Corinthians 11... It says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what it's saying there is if women are praying, if they're prophesying, then clearly it doesn't mean they have to remain silent. Um, that's not what it's saying. So quietness here also appears to be linked to the idea of submission. Because it says the woman is meant to, to learn in quietness, and full submission, Uh, which means learning, showing respect for the the authority of the one teaching, not being argumentative, not refusing to listen. It's not that you simply accept everything without being able to ask questions. That's not what it's saying. But part of what it means to learn in submission is then covered by the next sentence. So it goes on to say, I do not permit a woman to teach Or to assume authority over a man. So what is this getting at here? Is this an absolute prohibition for a woman to teach? Or is it in certain contexts? Well, again, we need to look at other instances um, of women teaching in the Bible. And when we do that, we find that there are some. In Titus 2, it says the older women are to teach the younger women. Paul is encouraging Titus to, to get the older women to teach. It says in Titus, what is good. Then they can urge or train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. In 2 Timothy 1, we, we learn that Timothy learned his faith from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. In Acts 18, we learn that Priscilla and Achilla invited Apollos to their home and explained to him, taught to him the way of God more adequately. So there are instances of women teaching. Um, so what it's not saying in this passage is that women are not allowed to teach. There are instances of women teaching children, teaching other women, giving teaching with, jointly with their husbands in their homes. So coming back to 1 Timothy 2, then, what is it Paul is getting at with this command here? Well, I think the clue is in the next phrase. When he says, I did not put a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. The teaching that a woman is not meant to do is linked to the fact that she should not have authority over a man. Where else do we get this from? Well, if you look down at the, the next chapter... It goes on to talk about the role of overseers or elders in the church. Whilst most of the qualifications for being an elder are to do with godly behavior, the responsibilities include being able to teach, to take care of God's church. So if you go on to chapter 5, verse 17, uh, we're told the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching And teaching. Now going back to chapter 2 verse 12 then. um, Where it says I do not permit a woman to teach. Or assume authority over a man. The context appears to be saying that the responsibilities of women. Do not include being elders in the church. Because elders are there to lead. To have authority. And to teach. And that's why we don't have female elders in this church. It's not because we're traditionalist. It's not because we haven't caught up with the times. It's because we're adhering to the biblical teaching on this issue. Now, you may ask the question, why would God exclude women from assuming that responsibility in the church? And now, first of all, what we do need to remember is what any leadership ministry in the church is about. It's about servanthood. It's not about status. Ministry means serving. Um, And if we're serving, what we're doing is looking to the needs of others. We're not looking to our own needs. So the purpose of our serving, of our ministry, shouldn't be for our own self-fulfillment, our satisfaction. And that's the big difference between leadership in the church and leadership in the world. If you're promoted in business uh, or any profession, in the eyes of the world, there's an increase status that goes along with that but that is not the case in the church being appointed an elder in the church is is not an excuse to somehow wield power um, and dictate your status it's responsibility to serve under our lord jesus christ and to submit to his word and ultimately as elders every decision we make has to be in accordance with god's word we can use the, the the human wisdom he's given us Um, But we need to be able to apply God's word to different issues at different times. And that is why being able to teach, knowing the Bible, is so important for an elder. If we don't know what God says about a certain issue, then we can't lead um, in God's way. Now, all members of the the church, both men and women, are called to submit to the authority of the elders. It says in Hebrews um, chapter 13, verse 17, it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. So I hope that you have confidence that the elders have your concerns at, uh, at heart. So in excluding women from this role, God is not denying them Anything, because ministry is for the benefit of others. Um, It's not about what we get out of it. And the reason that Paul gives for women not teaching or having authority has nothing to do with the cultural situation at the time, uh, nor the fact that many women may not have received a formal education. The reason he gives goes back to his design, goes back to creation ordinance. Look how the passage carries on. Verse 13. Having said, I don't permit a woman to teach or assume authority. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And this is where it helps to have looked at the passage in Genesis, um, which he's quoting here a couple of weeks ago. Um, Because we said then, didn't we, that there was a deliberate order in the way God made mankind. First man and then the woman. And that was to do with the primary moral responsibility that God was giving the man. And we saw that also in the way that God gave the instruction to the man first about what they could and couldn't do. Um, When they both disobeyed him, it was the man he called to account. And his accusation against the man wasn't just the fact that he ate the fruit he wasn't meant to, but as God said, the fact that he listened to the woman. And that's the explanation we have for this next verse, where it says, And Adam was not the one deceived, in verse 14. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And it's not that women are more gullible, so we can't trust them. It's not what it's saying here. It's that the woman took on the role that should have been the man's. And the man, instead of living up to his responsibility, just gave in to that and abdicated his responsibility. So it's, um, kind of, let's look at how the verse then carries on, because now it gets a little bit tricky. It says, um, "But women will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, with propriety." Now, I so would suggest what this is trying to get at here is that um, uh, not that women had to have children to be saved. Of course, we know that's not the case. Um, but the sin of Eve was not the end. Salvation is offered to all. Salvation is offered to men and women. And everyone needs to demonstrate the genuineness of their faith through persevering in faith, in love, and holiness. But this other bit, um, what I think that means is that women restore the created order, God's design. They're kept from Satan's deception. They won't be further deceived if they embrace the unique roles that God has given men And women, and one of those unique roles that obviously women have is is childbearing, raising children to love God. Of course, without assuming that gives every woman the ability to have children. Well, so far we've said that God has given men the leadership role in the church. But the sad thing, I think, when men um, or anybody talks about women's ministry, is that they often concentrate on that one role in the church that God has not called them to do, rather than the hundreds of valuable ministries um, which are open to, to women. And I guess, of course, that's part of our human nature, isn't it, to focus on the one thing we can't do, than all the things we can do. That was the case in the Eden, where God said to, to mankind, um, you've got all these trees, the fruits available to you, enjoy. But there's just one tree don't eat from. And of course... They focused on that, just as we would have done if that had been us. So it's, not, it's also not a, just a man-woman thing. There are lots of men who can't become elders, um, simply because God hasn't gifted them or called them in that way. And there are lots of things in life that we might set our sights on, which God decides not to give us for whatever reason. We may have our sights on the ideal job, Maybe the ideal marriage partner, the ideal home, maybe having children. But it may not be God's plan for us. How do we deal with that? Do we still trust him in that? Do we still submit to his will for our lives? But let's come on to what are some of those ministries in which women can serve and be more effective, actually, than than men? Um, Evangelism. There are people all around us who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their savior. They need to hear the gospel. It's our responsibilities as individuals to share our faith, to witness for Christ. Uh, It's our responsibility as a church to do that together, corporately. And there are many women leading evangelistic ministries in this church, very effectively. Um, Jill leading Spectrum. Catherine at Toybox, Val at Adventurers, Liz at Contact. And we want to ensure they're given all the support they need from the elders to perform those roles. Sometimes, not always, evangelism is better done in a same-sex situation, where men or women can discuss issues that are more real to them or in contexts where they feel more comfortable. With men, it might be walking up a mountain in the rain, and getting to the top and not being able to see anything. With women, it might be a craft evening where it's open to all, but actually it's more the women who tend to come. There are different situations which suit different um, genders. Evangelism, discipleship. On a Sunday, we come together as men and women, as the whole family, um, to hear from God, to be taught together. There are mixed home groups where we study together. But sometimes it's helpful, too, to have women's groups to be able to spend more time on, on the issues from, from their perspective. And so we have the Connect group, we have the Tame Ladies group, we have women's conferences. Um, we have women meeting in twos and threes to read the Bible and pray together. In the book of Titus, as I said earlier, older women are encouraged to teach younger women to impart their wisdom, their experience, particularly in their role as wives and mothers. There are always opportunities to teach children and young people. Many of our, our S-Club midweek roles are performed by women. And so it's important for women to be well-read, to be trained for ministry in those different roles. Hence, there's a women's book club. Um, there's a ministry training course in Oxford, which men and women go to. Um, FIC and the, the gospel partnership to which we belong arrange training conferences for women. Pastoral care. Women often have greater gifts of, of empathy, of care, of sensitivity. They can visit, they can provide support to others in need, they can pray for them. All roles that are there to be, to be done. Practical. Um, there are women deacons mentioned in the Bible because women do have skills in different areas that can be used for the good of the church. And so on and so on. So although women are not on the eldership, this doesn't mean that the views, the opinions of women um, are not taken seriously by, by the elders and us as a church. In the same way that husbands should respect the views of their wives. We always welcome Constructive comments and feedback. But as we come to, to an end, we shouldn't um, impose on women restrictions that scripture does not impose. But that does not mean that we should go against God's design for men and women and minimize the differences between the sexes that do exist. It means we shouldn't ignore the different roles that God has given to us. The different responsibilities he's given us. And I hope this series has been helpful in grasping that. I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, practical issues you want to, to think through. How does that work out in the life of the church or in the in the home? As I say, we're here to talk that through with you. But what just as I finish though, what a lot of the discussion around uh, different roles for women men and women in marriage and in the church comes down to. And what we've looked at quite a lot in this series is whether our value, our worth, is in any way dependent on our role or our responsibility. Can we be equal and yet have different roles? And it's clear from the Bible that that is the case. And not least in the Trinity, uh, where there is a division of roles between the Father, Son and Spirit, that in no way means that any member of the Trinity is less divine than of the others. So a view which equates worth with role um, is basically an unbiblical view um, that is of the world and not of God. The emphasis throughout scripture is that leadership responsibility is to do with servanthood and sacrifice. And the consistent picture of the church is a body where every member has a role to play. Every member is equally important, whatever that role is. So let's rejoice that we are equal, but different. Let's rejoice in the perfect partnership between men and women and in the many opportunities that God gives all of us to serve him. To him be the glory. Amen. Let's have a moment of quiet to, to pray about what we've um, heard and how that might play out in your particular life and your situation. Father God, we acknowledge the difficulty of understanding and applying passages like this, which seem so counter to the culture in which we live. And yet we know that as our creator, as the designer of the world in which we live, you know what is best for us. And we pray that we would seek your will in this area. Help us not to be swayed by worldly ambition, the desire for self-fulfillment, but the desire to honor you and do your will. And we do thank you for the privilege of being part of your body, the church, that we all have a role to play in the church family. And we do pray that we would all be able and willing to use the gifts that you've given us for your service. And so we offer you now our financial gifts, our gifts of service and our lives for your glorious sake
0: amen